this is our podcast, Education Talks, and we're going to start by um, talking about some questions that we had in our activity guides um, from the videos that we watched and the podcast that we listened to um, this week. So I was going to start by asking the question, um, a clarifying question that I had, and it was kind of about, um, I noticed that in the um, revitalization of the Hawaiian language, um, it seemed like it was very difficult because they were able to revitalize it to have thousands of speakers. And I was thinking about just how would that exactly be accomplished? And like, did either of you have any ideas of how they may have done that, like from a systematic perspective of making sure that they were able to revitalize the language to a level where you had thousands of fluent speakers? Yeah, I think they definitely, didn't it say like they made a TV show or something? That's a good point, I had forgotten about that, yeah. <laughs> so I think that that seems like, I'm glad that you mentioned that because that actually reminded me that um, I think that that's one of the ways that they did it was by having like media and just different things within the culture besides just people speaking to each other, mm-hmm. um, having things surrounding them with the language trying to think of like some other ways that they did that I wonder if like the school and like having the education start early in the language had a lot to do with it I definitely agree with that I feel like starting um basically when they're in preschool will help them like develop the language faster and um it's kind of interesting how like it starts from one person and it comes to like maybe a hundred people I like, <laughs> like it's just crazy. That's what I have to say. That's all. Yeah. Yeah, I was really impressed that they were able to kind of trace it back to like it seemed like to one individual on the podcast um, that really worked and really set like the framework for revitalizing the language and the culture of Hawaii. Yeah. Did they say how long that process took? I kind of remember them saying it, but I'm not able to remember. I think it may have been across decades. I'm not really sure. Yeah, that's crazy. But I, but all things considered, I think they actually accomplished it rather quickly because of how much they worked to revitalize the language and culture. And then I wasn't sure what questions um, you had asked in your um, activity guides if you wanted to ask a question. Well, I had one kind of relating. It was just what, like, how do you think reviving the Hawaiian culture helped children in Hawaii feel more connected to their culture? That's a good question. I feel like, um, well, obviously it would be very connected at that point. And what I think it would really help with is their overall well-being as people. Because I feel like um, if they don't have that cultural connection, or they feel and recognize that their culture was like suppressed and oppressed and erased, like um, it would negatively affect them and it would make them feel like they as individuals or as a people had been erased. So I feel like um, it probably really helped them a lot. And I feel like it would just also help them not only like as individuals, but also kind of like as a people, um, it changed from having to kind of feel like individually erased to all of a sudden they are connected to a culture and also all those around them got to have that same connection and they can now um even feel a connection to those who lived like a long time before them things like that yes i completely agree with you elizabeth like when we start like with the language for like the hawaiians i feel like um 
it will all be connected and it starts with the new generation and if the new generation learns the language then like other generations can know like oh this is where my culture comes from this is what hawaii really is instead of like like the watered down hawaii version that people are showing like on medias and stuff like that so that's a good question Diana. Yeah, and you brought up like a really good point there because cultural appropriation is another thing that Hawaiian, the Hawaiian people, they really suffer from because there's, like you said, the watered downness of it, things that are just entirely inaccurate, things that do not belong to other people but were actually sacred to the Hawaiian people. And so that really, I think, helps them because they have a real meaningful connection with the real culture of Hawaii. Yeah, I agree. 100% agree. Um, I also asked the question about the um, podcast and if I feel like when I was listening to the podcast the Hawaiians that were being interviewed um, Miraji Harmons um, they had like a little bit less faith in the younger generation who speak Hawaiian because they're worried they're not going to speak the language or like come back to Hawaii, do you think it's a good reason for them to be scared or should they have like a little bit more trust in the new generation? I mean, maybe they're scared of what happened when people spoke the language before, like it was looked down upon, like people were mistreated for speaking Hawaii. Maybe they're scared that like that prejudice is going to come back. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah, and I also think that that's a really good question. And like, I also feel like it's a ma- it can also be a matter of how connected they feel to Hawaiian culture and whether they um, have the same relationship to the sort of suppression and oppression. And I wonder if because of that, they may also lose faith in them feeling like they don't necessarily always place the same importance on Hawaiian culture um, that the older generation did. And they worry that they'll see it as something that can be taken for granted and therefore they don't come back to the community. But like Gianna said, I think another big part of it is the idea that this sort of these sort of oppression um, systems of oppression will come back, and that it will be marginalized and erased again. The Hawaiian culture, and so that's why they worry about what will happen in future generations and if this could occur again. Yeah, that's so sad to me because when I was like listening to the podcast and like they were saying how, oh yeah, Hawaiian is the official language, but they weren't doing anything about it. I was just like, really? Then why is it like the official language if it's not taught in schools? Like not only like Hawaiian has to be taught in school, also English. And I'm just like, that's just erasing the whole point of like the Hawaiian language. We also need to focus on Hawaiian language instead of English language. And we're just grouping it together. It's just not working. Yeah, and I like the way you said that, that um, policy um, and what actually occurs versus what's like in name as policy can be two very different things. Um, Because like you said, um, in the podcast, they said that Hawaiian was now the official language, um, but they weren't actually doing anything to to revive the Hawaiian language. So it didn't matter that they had that they had it in name that um, Hawaiian was official. Yeah. versus Ferguson separate but equal doctrine 
However, um, schools like the Driscoll School District remained segregated. And um, even though it wasn't legal in their case, they actually did it very systemically. But I was also thinking about how even today, it may, you know, the way that it systemically happens is, I guess, de facto segregation. It's just how it occurs. But segregation is actually a huge problem today, especially racial segregation. So between looking at um, the Brown versus Board of Education decision and the desegregation to nowadays, how affected how effective would you all say that like um, the act really was and the law really was in stopping segregation? Honestly, today for me, um, for the segregation, <laughs> um, I don't know, like, it's, it's actually, we're just like so far, like, not so far, like, gone from the Brown versus Brown education because I felt like we're moving forward. Um, we're moving forward. I feel like teachers have to, teachers and people who are run the school have to try more hard to, like, focus on what education really is about. Like, it's not about, like, um, just one topic, which is just English and like the American history. I think we need to include all histories, and especially now when we see it in history books, like just about America and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's just you that's a really good question because I'm like, oh my goodness, I don't know if you move far, move back. So, yeah. I don't really know. It sounds like, did you say Driscoll happened after? Yeah, because um, Brown versus Board um, overturned separate but equal in 1954, I believe. And then the Driscoll case um, was taken to court in 1956. So what happened after that? you just said like those two questions what is the purpose of education in america and i'm just like whoa like i never even thought of that question before i think that's crazy to even think that because it goes deep and there's just so many answers i think people would say that's amazing and i also feel like we're on back to the subject of like segregation issues um i feel like we're actually going to become educators at a very um interesting and critical time yes. in um, our history as like a country because 
Um, although some desegregation was occurring after the Brown versus Board of Education um, decision. One thing that I've heard, although I can't remember where I heard this from, but it was it is a statistic that I've heard frequently, um, that segregation is actually increasing. It has increased in recent years. So we're actually worse. Um, I've heard anytime I think since Brown versus Board, um, this is like the worst period since that time. So it's going to be an important thing for us to figure out and to fight against as educators. That's crazy. Oh my goodness. That is crazy. I didn't know that. So then I wasn't sure if either of you had like another question from your activity guide that you wanted to ask. I do. Do you want to go, Jan, or do you want me to go? You can go. Okay, cool. Um, so I wrote, um, in the film, why did you think there is like a lot of things that were going on in this school, uh, but many of like the Americans in the school didn't know, like many of the interviewees uh, said they were just doing what was right, um, and for the kids that were in school when they were little, like many of the kids at the school said they didn't notice. Do you guys think that's true? Like they didn't notice what was what was going on in the school? And do you guys think it was true that they were just doing what was best for the Mexican kids? Yeah, I'm like glad that you brought that up. Um, because I did notice that when they spoke with Latinos who had gone to school during that time versus whites, they gave very different responses with Latinos actually talking about discrimination that they faced and the segregation that was actually occurring and like the systemic practice of keeping them in the first grade for three years without any assessment. Whereas when they talked to the whites about this issue, they said that they remember um, having a good relationship with Latinos and that the teachers did their very best and that the community was just fine and that nothing was wrong with this. Or like um, you mentioned that in the documentary, they said that they didn't even notice. And I really don't know what to make of that. Right. Frankly, I feel like uh, it's hard to tell because they were young at that time, right. but I feel like it's a combination somewhat of denial, even if they learned later what was happening. And also I wonder if it's a matter of like, they're in the mindset that that must have been correct because they were around individuals like white individuals that raised them, things like that, who told them that this was correct. Right. And so they want to change that mindset. That would be like my guesses on what may have occurred because I definitely noticed that they seemed very unconcerned. And even at the time this case was happening. Oh no. Can, Can you hear her? No, no, no. I can't hear. Oh no, I bet she's saying oh. really good stuff too. Is she mute? Oh, now she. Sorry, can you hear what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm not yeah. sure. Now I can. <laughs> you cut out for a little bit. <laughs> you were making really good points, and I was like, oh no. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, I wasn't sure how much was lost or if you want me to repeat any of what I said, but... Oh, you can repeat it. Yeah. Sorry, what? Oh, sorry, you can repeat it if you want, because... Oh, I was just saying, basically, um, that it was noticeable. I think it was a matter of denial by the whites who lived during that time. And I also found it interesting in the documentary that the white community seemed very unbothered by what happened, 
Yeah. Um, and that something that discriminatory would have been occurring, and that it's as though they didn't know, or as though it didn't seem to even matter to them, which is very surprising to see. But looking at it from hindsight might be very different from what they saw as something that they um, had been taught to believe was just normal. The idea that inequity was just normal or something. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like it how the kids like wouldn't understand at the time. Just like, oh, this is what the adults are telling me. This is what's happening. This is fine. This is what's supposed to happen. But like, even when they like grew up and were getting interviewed, like, oh, everything was fine. When it obviously right? wasn't fine, you think they would have like reflected on that? Yeah, and like, that's not okay. <laughs> but I guess not. It, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, wonder, sorry, sorry. I wonder if that's like a denial thing or something for them. What were you saying? Um, I was just gonna say that um, when. They were like the people that were getting interviewed. It was just crazy to me how they didn't think anything was happening because you didn't think anything was happening to you because you guys were treated right. Like you guys were moving up in grades. You weren't staying in the same grade for three years. If that was happening to you, you'd be like, oh, why am I staying in the, like first? Why am I like having first grade like three times? You know what I mean? <laughs> Sorry, Elizabeth. You can go. <laughs> So mine is kind of, you know how like in both the podcast and the um, documentary, they kind of like talked about it through the children of the people who experienced it, like kind of secondhand trauma sort of like, because the parents didn't talk about it. Mm -hmm. So since these events were kind of uncovered, do you guys think that there's any events from like today that we've experienced that will be uncovered later that people are just going to stop talking about for a while? Because there's some things that are like difficult to talk about and people are maybe going to want to try to avoid it, but they're important and they need to be talked about. Like avoid it, like writing and like in the history books, like what happened during this time, like, but they won't like talk about it, like in schools. Is that what you mean? Like, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. That's crazy to even think, like, when we're, like, future educators and things that happen right now, like, when we're in our prime and, like, we're not even, like, educators yet, to even think, like, oh, we're not going to talk about it, we're just going to put it under the rug, you know what I mean? Yeah, and I also, now you brought that up, now I'm thinking about that, like, I wonder um, what might be erased from history later on, yeah. or what we notice as educators if we're working for a long time as teachers a generation from now um things that are in the history books and we were there and it got erased or changed i was thinking about things that occur right now um for example the first thing actually came to mind was the murder of george floyd um things like that yeah. and this systemic police brutality for example i wonder how will they teach this because i mean even now i don't think that they're particularly like history books things like that are particularly um talking about how bad things are yeah. um and what exactly occurs um the sort of way that it systemically exists within the united states so i do wonder like it's occurring right now too and so it's like what are they going to say um in history books a generation from now and what will we as educators do to tell them you know things that actually occurred in history i don't really know but that's like something that now that you brought it up, I can't stop thinking about. Yeah, or people might 
like downsize how important or significant the events were or what actually happened like when i learned about schools being integrated when i was in like middle school i didn't learn half of what actually happened like how difficult it actually was my school was just like oh yeah everyone went to the same school and that was that like they didn't get into any of the real details or really tell us what happened that actually reminded me of um ruby bridges um the black girl who um attended um first grade at a white school so she was six years old and you know she's a six-year-old child and it was so dangerous and the mob was so violent that four u.s marshals surrounded her and walked her into school that's how um that's how much oppression and um violence there was towards people of color and that's how difficult it was to integrate a school it's just crazy to think about but yeah i'm glad you brought that up i just had to say that because i that was the first person that came to mind I'm glad we're like talking about this because I can tell like we as educators are gonna like talk about the things that were hard like back then and even right now because we don't want to stop um, educating especially people of color what happened like what what's going on especially events we want their voices to be heard and for us to be talking about it right now and to like all agree at once I'm just like really satisfied as educator like the future educators that we are so yeah i'm very excited for our future (laughs) i'm glad you put it that way i feel optimistic about who will be as educators too yeah and that actually brings me to another thing i was going to mention is um i feel like this really helped me like thinking about what i'll do in the future as an educator um because with what gianna was mentioning about how sometimes they was kind of a generational trauma where um, in stolen education, they were talking like um, to the children of people who had been in this segregated system. Um, and I was thinking about how, you know, obviously um, the children themselves, unfortunately, may still be facing a lot of systemic racism, biases, all sorts of things like that. But even if they may have um, a so called better situation, they may still have generational trauma from things that their parents dealt with. And so I feel like as educators, that's something that is very important to think about. And I feel like that would help me to realize that the child at first may be facing bias all the time, and also their parents may have. And so that got passed down to yes. them and affected them deeply. Absolutely. Going back to um, the Hawaiian language and how people are bringing that back and how maybe people are scared to teach their children because of how they be treated, that's still happening now with my yes. best friend, um, her parents are from Puerto Rico and her parents didn't want to teach her Spanish because they didn't want her to have an accent and they didn't want people to treat her differently. So they only taught her English. And now she's in college and she's like, oh, I want to learn Spanish so bad. Yeah. I want to be more in touch with my culture. And she's learning Spanish and she loves it, but she wishes that her parents taught it to her sooner. But they were too scared someone is going to treat her differently. That is so crazy how generational trauma is passed down and it's up to one person like or you know like a group of people in a family to stop stop it from passing down to others and i just i just think that's amazing for like one person to stop the generational trauma that has been coming down for like decades and like hundreds of years i'm just like wow that's crazy definitely and i like how you brought up the idea that like we 
um, as individual teachers or just individuals um, within one's community or the individual themselves can really make the difference yes. in what will occur and what will occur in the future. And that's so important to realize that we have that agency. So I wanted to check in. Did you guys have anything else that you wanted to like bring up or something that you felt was important to talk about during this podcast? Well, I'm all good. Because <laughs> I feel like this may be a good time to wrap up if we're all ready. Yeah. Yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> so yeah, thanks for talking. This was great. I'm sure I talked your ear off like oh, I'm doing right okay. now. You no, it is great. You guys made such good points. Yeah, you guys like... So- it didn't even feel like we were talking that long. Like, we no, were it went by really right. fast. So. Yeah, but I, yeah, you guys made like really good points, and it was so interesting to hear. And I'm glad you asked the questions you did because now I have new things to think about, right. which I'm glad. <laughs> so that was our education talks. Thank you. And I guess we'll see each other in class. Yay! Great, we did it. <laughs> <laughs>